action. Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson, and oh, I forgot, <laughs> I forgot to do it. <laughs> Josh Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of, and we're going to the movies to celebrate the release of Joshua's new book, The Shadow Glass. Out now, we are deep diving into the best of 1980s sci-fi and fantasy to see what got Joshua's creative juices bubbling. <laughs> In this episode, yeah. we are looking at Conan the Barbarian from 1982, directed by John Milius. Josh. In a distant past, young Conan's life is turned upside down when his parents are murdered by the monstrous Thulsa Doom, played by James Earl Jones, who is the leader of a snake cult. Thulsa Doom is James Earl Jones isn't a member of a snake cult. After being taken into slavery, Conan grows up to become a meat sack barbarian played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who swears vengeance against Thulsa Doom, if he can keep his sword between his legs for long enough to do so. <laughs> he does a lot of fucking in this film. <laughs> he is a horny, horny barbarian. He is. He really is. Um, I've never seen this film before. You haven't? I'm not surprised. It doesn't seem like a Rob kind of movie. Um, well, I guess it's not, because I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> you've but you'd heard of it obviously oh yeah yeah i'd heard of it and you know whenever arnold's on like graham norton or something and they're talking about his old films conan usually comes up he's like ah and then i picked up the sword <laughs> it's just such it's like one of those ips that is instantly iconic but probably a lot of people who are sort of born after the 80s haven't seen it it's not the kind of film that is rolled out on TV a lot. You know, it, it's sort of a title that is known without weirdly having, you know, made so much of an impact that people actually want to watch it, you know. I wonder why that is. I wonder why yeah. that is. It was born out of the um, the pulp books of like the 30s, wasn't it? And then made into a a Marvel comic book towards like the 60s and the 70s and i guess that kind of revitalized it or introduced it to a new audience and then obviously hollywood and the uh dino del rentes company came a knocking yeah it's got a really weird history because robert e howard who came up with the the original comic books in 1932 he kind of wrote these comics a few of them are written and um, he died four years later in 1936. Mm. So he was only around for four years sort of working on this stuff. And at the time of his death, he'd written 21 stories, but only 17 of them had actually been published. Um, and it just sort of sat for like 40 years, I think. Like his original versions sat for 40 years, unpublished, out of print. Or they were published, but then fell out of print. Um, and they were kind of picked up by, by various different authors over the years who picked up his world and created their own stories based on that world, I guess, because they were sort of the rights reverted or, you know, I'm not really sure what happened with the rights. But so it's got this really patchy, weird history. So there's there's no sort of firm godfather, I guess, other than um, Robert E. Howard. But he wasn't really around for long enough to to really bring it to full fruition. So I wonder why by the late 70s, early 80s, 
Hollywood decided, well, now's the time for a Conan film. What was going on in the culture? It's not like, it's not like Dark Crystal set the world alight. And it's not like Star Wars is the reason this was created because this is nothing like Star Wars. This is almost set in an alternative history of Earth where in sort of the, the, the Dark Ages in Mongolia, we've suddenly got big fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger with a sword. It's, it's nothing... It feels, it feels out of place for the time it was made in. I guess... Because like Star Wars was such a huge hit, obviously that was 1977, and it I guess that created this appetite for sort of big grand adventures with interesting flawed heroes, um, and you know the 1980s became kind of like the the era of the sword and sandal epic, um, which kind of hadn't really been around for a while you know there were all the great um ray harryhausen films that were very much sword and sandal but they fell out of fashion so i guess in the same way that star wars revived those sort of daytime serial tv shows i guess maybe they were looking at conan as something that could revive the sword and sorcery but i wonder why yeah it's just a weird zeitgeisty thing it's probably just because somebody bought the rights i think there was lots there were lots of licensing problems that stopped any film versions being made before mm. the 70s. And when those, obviously because of that tangled web of people creating stuff around it. So when I when they actually got purchased, I think that that's when obviously the, the cogs started turning. But yeah, it's a weird one. It's kind of, it's such a, like this is, a, it's a film called Conan the Barbarian and it opens with a Nietzsche quote. You know, like this, <laughs> yeah. I, it's just so crazy that, it does and it misquotes it as well they misquote Nietzsche in the opening of the film which is almost perfect because it's about Freudian (laughs) Freudian to do that yeah but that what do you think that quote tells you about the film and what what the filmmakers are trying to deliver reminds us of the quote it's the, it's the quote, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. Okay, so, I mean, that is basically the film, right? He is, <laughs> he is subjected to seeing his father eaten by dogs. And unlike Willow, these are mm. dogs, not dogs yeah. in pigs' costumes, right? Not, and also they were real dogs. Not dogs in blankets. <laughs> and there were dogs that were actually so scary in real life that I think Arnie did have to run away from them at one point because they were going to kill someone. Have you ever seen Arnold Schwarzenegger (laughs) run? Never runs. He'd rather ride a horse or a motorbike. He can't run. He's in the running man. Yeah, but he doesn't run. It's ironic. It's an ironic title. (laughs) As Nietzsche said, he who runs away from irony will be caught by irony in running. (laughs) Will be tripped over by irony. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so he sees his dad eaten by a dog. His mum gets her head chopped off and he gets put into slavery so yeah what what doesn't kill him has made him stronger and that would explain why after he's put into slavery his only job is to push that mill thing around for eight hours a day that would explain why after however many years he is jacked like he's lived in the gym he looks like those massive things in lord of the rings that open the gates where they're like straining on their chains to open the gates. That's basically what Conan looks like. Yeah, gym men. <laughs> gym bods. Gym bods, right? He's a muscle Mary. So either they've been feeding him nothing but protein, thinking this will be fine, hmm. 
or his anger and his need for vengeance has bolt his body up because what doesn't kill you as someone called Nietzsche said once makes you stronger did Nietzsche actually say that or was it um Kelly Clarkson in her song what doesn't kill you makes you stronger I think I think it's it's often attributed to Nietzsche but Kelly Clarkson (laughs) is of course one of the great philosophers of our time absolutely 100% the thing that struck me about the opening of this film is a lot of it is dialogue free yeah and it plays out like almost like a silent movie or the the overture of an opera i mean that's very kind of you i think but but no i think you're right like the first 20 minutes or so are almost entirely wordless apart from conan's father um talking about um said like something about the, he talks about the steel the power of steel mm. you know he gives him this kind of pep talk about life but basically talks about his sword um and, and also then, arnold kept saying crumbs yeah crumbs is he hungry <laughs> i want crumbs uh, get out get me the crumbs <laughs> and he doesn't actually speak until like 25 minutes in and his first line is that amazing quote about the lamentation of the women and all of that. Crumbs! Stuff. What doesn't crumb you makes you stronger. <laughs> <laughs> this, I think the whole film actually is pretty sparse on dialogue. Like Crummy? I think Arnie's final line is about 15, 20 minutes before the actual end of the film. Like he says a prayer to one of the gods before the battle. They have the big battle. And then that's the last time he actually speaks. It's, it's really sparse. He's not spoken since. No, it's He always Conan, has to be dubbed just, by yeah. an Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonator. <laughs> is there not a version of this film where he is dubbed? Well, his co-star was dubbed. Which one? Um, the actor... Oh, for goodness sake. Oh, the one that looks like a, an old Justin Long. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> um... Gary, yeah, Gary Lopez, who plays his sort of partner in crime, uh, Subotai, he, uh, apparently he was dubbed because he wasn't quite getting the, um, delivering the lines in a way that John Milius found sort of appropriate for the film or something. So he was dubbed. So yeah, it's interesting that Arnie wasn't dubbed because he really struggled. There is some early film where... Arnold Schwarzenegger was dubbed and I can't remember what it was uh, oh god I'd have to look it up I always thought on it was in this an envelope one. please but I genuinely thought he was really good yeah he's never gonna he's never gonna win an Oscar but if he was just hired for his body and for his shape then he would be like a Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th or a Michael Myers from Halloween he would just be a lump but he actually knows how to hold himself and he knows how to infuse a performance with characterization. He is genuinely a decent actor that he's never really given yeah. the the credit. You know, there's a difference between what he does in Terminator 1 and what he does in Terminator 2 and what he does in Jingle All The Way and what he Absolutely. does in Junior and, and Twins. Kindergarten he, Cop. I think he does have range and he's never really given the credit that he deserves. He's he's never going to be, you know, Oscar Schindler in a remake. He's never going to be, um, you know, he's never going to be Hook 
in a remake of Hook. He's never going to yeah. be anything other than someone who is an action movie person, someone who needs to be huge. But he yeah. still plays the parts really well. He understands that he's not just playing a lump. He's playing a character who just so happens to be built like a brick shithouse. Yeah, and I think that action heroes kind of do have to have something about them. You know, like Liam mm. Neeson isn't the traditional hero, but there's something really interesting about the way he plays a hero. Mm. And I think Arnie kind of does the same thing. But also, I think because Arnie kind of came up through the, the ranks of um, professional sort of bodybuilding, he's a hugely competitive person. And so I think that that kind of competitiveness translates into acting as well, where he's sort of not content to just phone it in he actually genuinely wants to be good and so that's why like this kind of he said that this film was sort of like a gift to him and i think that in a lot of ways it was not and not just because of the the role itself but because of the people who were around him he had james Earl jones who has gravity in his little finger and he has max von sidow as well Mm. and he actually talked to them and he asked them for guidance and asked them to sort of tell him how to act basically <laughs> and they clearly did because mm. you can almost see i don't i don't know if this, the film was shot in sequence but you can almost see him going from the bit in the gladiator ring to then the last kind of shots of him on that amazing staircase where he comes down bloodied bruised those eyes that hair that sort of like bodybuilder's tan and he just looks like he is Conan. It's amazing. And James L. Jones is phenomenal. That look that he gives oh, yeah. the mum before he whips round and chops her head off. Yeah. That's phenomenal. What an introduction. Just, yeah. Because you really think he's going to spare her. And then when he turns, you're like, oh, okay, she's, uh, her head's come off. He's jealous. She's got a full bodied head of hair. And he's got that <laughs> wispy, fucked up, weak little wig that's sort of plastered to the side of his face he's got a scream three um fringe gail weathers and scream three with that (laughs) tufty fringe (laughs) that's what he's jealous of he's jealous of that woman's 1980s weave that big full-bodied curly weave yeah i mean she doesn't get a single line in the film she just gets killed off and it's done really well because oh yeah about it's not about the fact that she's getting head cut off it's about the fact that Conan is stood next to her, it's about his reaction. So we don't even see the head get chopped off. We see the hair falling through the shot. Oh, it's it's one of the most impressive things about the film, I think, is that first 20 minutes where, like you said, it's kind of like a silent film. And I love that the camera is on sort of young Conan when his mother mm. is killed. She, he's holding her hand. Her body falls away from him as he's holding her hand. Mm. And it's like, it's purely through his perspective. It's so, so well done. Because you, you know what they say. That what doesn't kill you makes, makes your longer. hair stronger. <laughs> makes your hair stronger. Who needs conditioner when trauma, or as Jamie Lee Curtis says, trauma can just make your hair better. Because as you'll notice with me, the older I get, the less trauma I experience and the thinner my Absolutely. hair gets. <laughs> I've got almost no trauma. I know. In my head. Yeah. I think we've cracked it. I know. There you go. We've absolutely cracked it. Um, how do you feel about the treatment of women in this film? Hey, that's a woke question. Hey, welcome to 2022. Oh my God. Hey, Twitter. Um, what about women, eh? What's in it for me <laughs> as a man? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I don't really know because they're kind of <laughs> there's one there's one lead 
female character and that is is it valerie valeria valeria um played by sandal bergman and she's sort of she's sort of like a barbarian herself like she behaves in a very similar way to conan um a lot of their characteristics are quite similar obviously she's not quite as big in the shoulders but other than her the women are essentially sort of basically the population of an orgy you know they're basically either in an orgy or they are servicing conan um and yeah that it's it's that it's that kind of stone age perspective on women i suppose it's clearly a male-led society you know the women are mostly playthings in this world even to the point where like does he rape that woman in the cage they bring her they bring they bring mm. conan the woman and then suddenly he's putting like a rug around her to cover her breasts and then lays her down gently and we don't see it but it's implied heavily that oh we know he's just going to sleep with her yeah so I guess... that seems to be fully acceptable in that society and you know well they're all watching as well they're obviously yeah, approving, they were watching, approving you know, of it because they're watching women's sexuality seems to be a either a form of entertainment or in the the case of the witch that he stumbles across and ends up fucking she weaponizes her own sexuality as a way mm. of trying to entrap him but obviously yeah. she didn't she didn't plan for him to throw her in the big fire that is a yeah. big fire feature in such a small property <laughs> she's a witch yeah but do you need such a huge fire feature <laughs> that <laughs> that obviously increases the value of that flat by at least yeah. 1.5 million considerably yeah leasehold yeah she's leasehold. interesting because she does basically say to him i'll tell you where you can find um james l jones if you sleep with me basically but she kind of yeah she lures him in she when they're having sex she turns into this like vampire witch like she gets weird eyes and big teeth and stuff we've all been there so i don't know what that says about female sexuality but um there it is it's there for the taking but that's like a really cool sequence because i love that it suddenly gets that witchy blue filter Mm. And it just suddenly goes completely nuts in a way that it hasn't been beforehand. It kind of, it becomes more of a, a supernatural film than just about a, a barbarian wandering the wilderness. Yeah, and it's one of the only scenes in the film that actually has some visual effects. It's got some rotoscoping mm. going on when the witch turns into like an orb. You know, after she's been chucked in the fire, she dumps the human body and resorts to her orb form and shoots off. For yeah. a film that is considered a fantasy, there's not a lot of special effects. And it's mainly through world building, understanding yeah. that this is not the Dark Ages as we know it. It's the Dark Ages as seen through America's idea of fantasy. Yeah. I think that they were originally planning to have more creatures and stuff in it. But in the end, I don't know if for money reasons, they kind of decided to pair that back but there is still some really awesome fantasy stuff like that moment where james l jones turns into a snake for like for no reason (laughs) apparent reason whatsoever it's just really cool (laughs) done really well yeah brilliant and that giant snake was really effective i mean you could see it creaking a bit but very cool look old snakes what doesn't kill snakes makes them creaky (laughs) 
Did you know that that shot of the arrow going over Arnie's head into the snake, that was shot by John Milius, that arrow. Really? Because apparently he was the best shot in the, the production. Can you imagine them doing that now? What if he'd shot Arnie in the head by accident? Well, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So he'd be super <laughs> duper turning strong. Turning into Christopher Walken. It makes you stronger. <laughs> is Conan destined to become a dictator? Well, there's, there, there is that implication in the closing credits with that fantastic shot of him on with the, the sword. Yeah, on basically a throne, and the, and the narration says, in his own way, he becomes a king too, and we'll talk about no, that no, later. No, no, his own way. <laughs> it's like, because that could, that could assume that he thinks he's the I'm king. I'm a queen. I'm, I'm the queen, queen, queen. He becomes a king by his own hand. So uh, that, to me, says that he uses his power to assume the throne. So has he become a dictator? Does he get drunk on the power that... He feels he's earned by beheading James Earl Jones' Snake King. Well, I mean, killing James Earl Jones' character kind of has scattered all these people who were in search of a cult. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did gravitate towards Conan, who's like the new version of Felsa Doom. So what does yeah, that possibly. story look like? Yeah. Is that is that explored in the sequel? Because uh, no, there's Conan so. the... Destroyer. Conan the Destroyer? Yeah. The sequel's really weird. And actually, I don't think I had seen Conan the Barbarian before watching it for the podcast. Podcast, oh, wow. really weirdly. I know, I've just <laughs> continu- continued my tradition of watching the sequel first because I had seen Conan the Destroyer, which is actually weirdly more of a kid's film. Yeah. I don't know if it's... Apparently it's high camp and comedy. Super camp, yeah. And just sort of like a real um, romp where there's just various sort of but mostly unconnected adventures occurring throughout the entire film. But that must surely have been a result of sort of more child-friendly fantasy films coming Mm. along. Because in 1982, we had Dark Crystal, um, but we didn't really have any of the big hitters yet of the 1980s. So I wonder if the bigger stuff coming along made them decide to sort of like PG up the sequel instead. I think the the grounded nature, the adult nature of this film is it's directed by John Milius, who comes from the Francis Ford Coppola group of filmmakers. Yeah. You know, he he co-wrote a, Apocalypse Now. Yeah. And this film was also co-wrote by Oliver Stone. So there's okay. going to be an adult groundedness to it. And that, to me, explains why, is there, why there's so little identifiable or things that we now identify as being in the fantasy genre. So goblins mm. and creatures and special effects and whiz-bang pop. This is a character piece, really, at the heart of it. It's, it's a really intense character study of a man who only knows two things, slavery yeah. and the need for vengeance. Yeah, well, that's kind of what I meant when I said, what do you think they were trying to achieve? What What's the Nietzsche quote tell you? Because... It's clearly got really grand ambitions and yet it's it comes across as really camp and it's hilarious that the film does start with those names, John Milius and Oliver Stone, who everyone who loves films knows those names and it's mm. actually quite, it kind of makes you go, what? Initially, because those names are associated with such 
hallmarks of American class, you know, classic American films. Mm. So then to see them suddenly doing something called Conan the Barbarian is like, what? To me, it doesn't feel like it was made to be camp. I think maybe the campness has come because it hasn't aged particularly well. Yeah, it's not camp in its ambition. It's just sort of, yeah, just the aesthetic of it and the fact that it's Arnie, you know. It's an inevitable side effect of special effects moving on, the style of films moving on. 20 years later, it's only 20 years before Lord of the Rings and look how different they are. And it's only two years before Blade Runner. And Blade Runner still looks sensational. Yeah, but Blade Runner is a film noir. Yeah. This is not but, a film noir. This is a this is a Stone Age, sand and swords kind of mm. film that just so happens to be a fantasy where Darth Vader turns into a snake because what doesn't kill him has made him stronger. <laughs> what do you think? Or how do you think Ridley Scott would have done this differently? Because he was, he was originally approached by Oliver Stone and he liked the script, mm. but he didn't like Arnie for the role. So he just said <laughs> no. But he just come off Alien, which is sort of a really aesthetically polished film. The world building is fantastic visually. And I just wonder what he would have brought to Conan that maybe John Milius didn't quite succeed at. To answer that question, I have to ask another question. Has John Milius failed in this film? I don't think he's failed. I think mm. he's created a, a really decent, if now aged, fantasy film. It is brutal. Yeah. The world is built brilliantly. It takes its time to tell you what's going on. It's a two-hour, six-minute film. And I think by today's standards, it can feel sluggish and slow. But I don't think I don't think John Milius has failed. I think it's pretty successful in what they wanted to set out. Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott's an odd one because he's very good at world building. Whether his films are good or bad, you know, the good ones, the bad ones, they all have incredible world building in them. Mm. You know, they could be designed within an inch of its life. Maybe visually with Ridley Scott, it would look a bit better and maybe that would give it some longevity. But yeah. even some of Ridley Scott's older films have aged. Yeah. Even Gladiator has aged. And that's meant guess... to be the start of the second wave of Ridley Scott's career. Yeah, I guess it's just interesting to look at the what Conan looks like and how it's kind of slightly sort of been not, if not forgotten, then it's not exactly sort of prized as one of the best of the 1980s fantasy films. But mm. if you compare it to Legend, which was directed by Ridley Scott five yeah. years later, which is interesting because clearly he was in a fantasy kind of frame of mind um, post being offered Conan. And that film is visually spectacular. I think narratively, it's a bit of a hodgepodge. It's all over the place. But in terms of the visuals, it still looks fantastic. And I just wonder if Ridley Scott slightly has an edge on John Milius where Conan looks all right. You know, it looks pretty cool, but it doesn't have that still that heightened, polished look. That something but that's like because John does. Milius is a writer who ended up becoming a director yeah Ridley Scott is a artist and graphic designer who ended up 
because he shot the shit out of so many commercials. He did like yeah. 40, 50 commercials before he even set foot on a feature film set, right? Mm. He he is a graphic designer who became a filmmaker. His films, whether you like the stories or not, whether they are successful as as in interesting narratives, they look amazing. Even something as shit as The Counselor. Yeah. Even something as as seemingly uninspiring to look at as Thelma and Louise is incredibly mm. visual when you compare it to some if, you know, if someone else did Thelma and Louise, if you took a writer and said, Here you yeah. can direct you know, there's a difference between the film that Aaron Sorkin has written and let someone else direct and a film that Aaron Sorkin has written and directed. Yeah. His the films that he's directing he doesn't seem to know what he's doing. Yeah. Did he do Don't Look Up? Oh, hang on. I keep getting Don't Look Up confused because that's... Um, that's Adam McKay. Adam McKay, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, goodness no, sake. He wrote, Those two um, have become so linked in my mind. He wrote that film about... It was on Netflix. I can't yeah. remember. The, the Chicago 12 or something like that. The Chicago 5? Oh, Trial of the Chicago 7. That's it. Yeah. 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 So it just looks like a regular TV movie. It's got a great script, mm. but it's, you know... It's not Hawkins, not a visual filmmaker, but then the script for the social network is brilliant and visually it's phenomenal because David Fincher is just a visual genius. Ridley yeah. Scott is a visual genius. Clearly, John Milius is not. Mm. But I wouldn't say he's. I wouldn't say he's failed. No, I don't think he failed at all. I just think it's interesting where it sits now within the sort of nineteen eighties canon i'm not sure that if like if you say to someone what are your favorite 1980s fantasy films i'm not sure how many people would say conan and i don't i'm not i doubt very many sort of women would say conan i don't know maybe maybe it's got that sex appeal in arnie i don't know i just don't think it's got any longevity it's it hasn't hit a zeitgeist because a film doesn't necessarily have to be well made in order to have longevity you know dark crystal technically might be well made but it's really boring but it still seems to it still seems to be really popular I apologise for Robert Gershon's opinions <laughs> but it still seems to be really popular to the point where it got a seek, a prequel series on Netflix and yeah. Willow as fun as it is is not that well made and yet it's getting a Disney Plus uh, sequel series mm-hmm. I can't see this iteration of Conan getting a new version because mm. 10 years ago Jason Momoa stepped into the role in a terrible reboot yeah so would you want to see a third film with Arnie with Arnie I'd be interested but I yeah. think it should be a TV series for this reason I think structurally this film Conan the Barbarian it feels more like like an old poem or like a legend like a fable yeah because structurally it's set up set up set up adult meet someone exposition move on meet someone exposition move on fight meet someone exposition move on it's very bitty a bit like willow mm. actually in in the structure yeah. of mini adventure move on mini adventure move on the connecting tissue isn't really there so it feels like well, that would work really well on television because then each individual section would just be a new episode. That seems to be taken advantage of recently in things like Mandalorian or the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. So I think 
if they are going to do a reboot with Arnold Schwarzenegger, because we seem to be a point in the culture now where all the old stuff seems to be getting brand new sequels or prequel series as TV, it would work really well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that um, there was talk of doing a third one, sort of 2006, 2017, but it kind of fell apart. And then one of the producers or somebody around the rights and stuff said that um, the film would be set. It was called The Legend of Conan. It was meant to be set 30 years after the first film. And some of the inspiration would be Unforgiven, the Clint Eastwood film, which I think is sort of genius. I would love to see Conan doing Unforgiven. <laughs> It'd be brilliant. I've never seen Unforgiven, but I know it's, oh, it's, it's amazing. almost like the end of the cowboy's life, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like the aging cowboy um, being forced out of retirement to sort of, you know, do the right thing, save the day kind of kind of One thing. more mission. Exactly. One last mission. Too, Too old, old for, for this shit. shit. <laughs> oh my God. How did we say that exactly the same time? <laughs> What's the connection to Shadowglass? The... It's hilarious seeing as I actually hadn't, I don't think, seen the first Conan film. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> I mean, it's definitely an example of adult fantasy. You know, it's a fantasy that isn't made for for kids. It's gory. It's grown up. It's got grown up themes. Um, And so I kind of like that as an idea, you know, having adult fantasy. Um, And even though Shadow Glass doesn't have a barbarian having sex with lots of women, it does have certain characters who are kind of inspired by sword and sorcery um two of the puppet characters are very much of that mold they're warriors they live for the battlefield um and there's a sort of a a fake film franchise that i've created in the book that is basically a sword and sorcery style franchise um maybe a hint of xena to it uh there's also another character like another fake universe about a guy called Man Hero, um, and clearly that is sort of a kind of a barbaric Conan, He-Man style character. So yeah, there's there's drips and drabs of this film in Shadow Glass, I would say. Conan the Barbarian, directed by John Milius. Joshua, give us a clue as to what's coming up in the next episode. The next episode, we're going to... (laughs) Have a fit, apparently. That's right. Schindler's List. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast, and Spotify, so you don't miss that episode. And we're on Twitter, at TornStubsPod. What is good in life? What is best in life, rather? Come let us know on Twitter. We are off to turn into a snake. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Josh Winning. Cut! <laughs> <laughs>